in uh, Matthew chapter number 14, and uh, if you would turn over there uh, with me, and uh, tonight we're going to look at the shortest prayer in the Bible. So I know what you're thinking, shortest prayer in the Bible, that means this is going to be the shortest sermon in the history of Cornerstone Baptist Church. It may be, you never know. But uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on it <laughs> at all <laughs> if I were you. All right, uh, Matthew chapter 20, or 14, verse, uh, uh, for, verse number 22, and uh, we'll read all the way down through, actually, verse number 33 is where the, uh, this particular account ends. And this is familiar. Uh, most of us kind of uh, know this particular story, this account. Uh, but I think we'll, we'll look at it uh, one more time tonight, and hopefully some things that um, we'll say tonight uh, will at least remind us of some things that maybe we've forgotten, maybe some things that we need to be reminded of at this moment in our life. And so with that in mind, let's jump in here. Verse number 22, the Bible says this, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, and it was tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, and here's that shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Well, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for each one that's here. And I pray, Lord, you'd use uh, these few minutes together in your word to uh, encourage us, to challenge us. Uh, Lord, to remind us of some things that we need to know right now in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through this series really uh, since the beginning of the year on the blueprints of prayer, looking at the different prayers in the Bible, learning lessons from them. Uh, we've looked at the Lord's Prayer. That was a good place to start, uh, looking at the prayer that Jesus instructed us on how to pray. And uh, we've looked at Hannah's prayer. We've looked at Jesus's prayer in the uh, upper room. Uh, we've looked at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. We've looked at Paul's prayer for the lost, and uh, we've looked at a lot of different uh, prayers in the Bible, but tonight we're going to come to the shortest prayer in the Bible. Uh, now, I wanted to uh, read this particular story here. Uh, 
automobile genius, Henry Ford, uh, we asked last, uh, last Sunday night who's, who's a Ford fan, who's a Chevy fan. And uh, my daughter, she's like, um, I, I raised my hand, Daddy, for the, um, for the Ford because you have one. And so I was like, <laughs> so, okay, good. She says, but if you had a Chevy, I would have raised my hand for Chevy. I was like, all right, well, I appreciate that. When we were in, uh, yeah, when we were in Montana, we had a Chevy. We had a Chevy Tahoe, and we had a GMC uh, Denali, what was it, Denali Suburban? Yeah, and, uh, but it was, that sounds, Denali's are kind of a high, higher-end vehicle. We got ours extremely used. <laughs> it was not a high-end vehicle whatsoever. It, uh, I think it hit a deer or something like that as well. So it had uh, deer damage, and, uh, but it still had leather seats and heated seats, which was really handy in the wintertime there. Uh, but so we are here now in uh, Oklahoma. I got right with God and got a Ford. Uh, so um, anyway, uh, automobile genius Henry Ford once came up with the revolutionary plan for a new kind of engine which we know today as the V8 engine. Uh, Mr. Ford was eager to get his great new idea into production, so he had some men drop the plans and presented them to the engineers. Well, as the engineers studied the drawings, one by one, they came to the same conclusion. Their visionary boss just didn't know much about the fundamental principles of engineering. He'd have to be told gently that his dream was impossible. Ford said, produce it anyway, was his response. Well, they replied, but it's impossible. And Ford commanded, go ahead and stay on the job until you succeed, no matter how much time is required. Well, for six, month, six months, they struggled with drawing after drawing, design after design, and nothing. Another six months, still nothing. And at the end of the year, Ford checked with his engineers, and they once again told him that what he wanted was impossible. It can't be done. Ford told them to keep going, and they did. And eventually, they discovered how to build a V8 engine. See, some things seem very impossible to us, but uh, as we have learned in Scripture, uh, many times the things that are impossible with man are very possible with God. The Lord actually allowed Peter to do the impossible, uh, walking on water, showing him and us that with God, nothing shall be impossible. And so tonight we're going to look at the five stages of when Peter did the impossible and then prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible. Uh, let's, let's go back through here and just to get some context. And uh, before we get to Peter... Uh, looking here at verses 22 through 27 here, just some, just some thoughts here. This is, by the way, right after uh, Jesus took that lunch uh, that that young lad gave and uh, was able to uh, feed 5,000 men uh, beside women and children. And uh, we're, we're about to cover this in uh, more detail in, the, uh, in our series through Mark, so I don't want to steal my thunder for then. Uh, but this is right after that particular miracle took place and the disciples were there experiencing it, participating in it, seeing God do all this, seeing the Lord do all this. 
And then now, uh, verse 22, the Bible says, Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and uh, go before him unto the other side. Now, he said, I want you to go. And then, uh, sure enough, verse number 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, last Sunday morning, we looked at the master of the sea in Mark when uh, he was able to say, peace be still, and, and there was a great calm. We looked at that account. This is another time when the disciples are in the ship in the middle of the sea, and there's another storm that comes. They would probably uh, be just fine now because of what happened in the past. Well, the difference here, though, is that Jesus was not in the boat at the moment. And so they were, I'm sure, uh, getting a little scared. Verse number 25, in the fourth watch of the night, and that's, by the way, from like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. And so this is uh, very, very early morning hours. And uh, this is their time they're out there. And, and all of a sudden, they must, there must have been some type of light that they were able to see Jesus. Uh, probably uh, the, the moonlight a little bit was able to shine on him because they did see Jesus uh, walking on the sea. Because verse 26 says, the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, it's a spirit. Their first reaction was, it's a ghost. Uh, it's, it's a spirit. Um, and then uh, verse number, uh, later in verse 26, it says, and they cried out for fear. They were extremely afraid. They were scared to death. Well, verse 27, uh, Jesus speaks, and they immediately heard his voice. And recognized his voice. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And, and the Lord says that to us in our storm as well. Um, hey, be of good cheer. I'm here. You, you don't need to be afraid. When you're going through a difficult time, a trial, a tribulation, health, finances, family, whatever it may be, the Lord says, hey, I'm here. Be not afraid. Be of good cheer, actually. Uh, not, you don't just not only not need to be afraid, but you can be of good cheer because I'm going to be with you now. Okay, so that brings us up to speed here. And verse 28 through verse 33, Peter is one of the major characters uh, in this particular account. So let's look at these five uh, stages here of when, Jesus, when Peter did the impossible and prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible. Number one, let's look at, first of all, Peter's courage. Peter's courage. Verse 28, as Peter hears the very familiar voice of his Lord and Savior, Peter answered in verse number 28, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Peter just, you know, he was Mr. Impulsive, wasn't he? Uh, really, everything that, uh, you know, he, he kind of didn't hide his feelings very much. I mean, really, whatever, he, whatever came into his mind came right out of his mouth very quickly. I and mean, there was really no filter there. And so he thought, hey, if that's really you, would you, would you bid me to come walk on the water? Now, I don't know I, what would possess me to say that, but, but Peter was a, was a strange duck, and, and uh, he, he came up with that idea. And the Lord said, verse 29, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he, Peter, walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I know that uh, as we, you, you hear the name Peter, and especially in the life of Christ, uh, later on in life, there, you know, pretty much 
Peter has got a pretty good track record. There is one incident that Paul had to address in Peter's life after the resurrection, after Jesus ascended uh, in Peter's ministry that Paul had to correct. But for the most part, Peter had a very good, uh, after the ascension of Christ, Peter was, 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 pretty, uh, was pretty much on the straight and narrow. But in the life of Christ, as he's learning and growing, he has very much a roller coaster Christian life as a disciple. I mean, he's up one day, down the next, mostly down, and, uh, and most of the time he gets a, a, a lot of bad press. Um, and uh, and he, he does have some major blunders and spiritual immaturity that, that is highlighted in the scriptures, such as denying the Lord three times after promising, I mean, just hours after promising the Lord that he would go to prison for him, that he would be willing to die for the Lord Jesus. And we see him just hours later denying the Lord. Um, he also blew it, uh, Peter did, when he rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking the Lord Jesus? But Peter did. He rebuked Jesus regarding the necessity for Jesus to be crucified and then rise again. Jesus was telling the disciples about the fact that he must needs be, um, uh, he's going he's gonna to be killed and then he's going to ri rise again the third day. And he was explaining that whole process to the disciples. And Peter rebuked him saying, no, not so, Lord. And then that's when Jesus had to sit, rebuke him back and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Um, and uh, so he, he, he rebuked the Lord Jesus for that. He was also very impulsive as he tried to defend Jesus with the sword by cutting off the ear of Malchus uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane as they went to go arrest him. And Peter said, I've got it. I'll take care of this. And he grabbed his sword and Mr. Impulsive and cut off the ear of that, of that soldier. And the Bible also records, Luke does, how he struggled when uh, after that took place that Peter followed afar off. So, Yes, Peter has some bad things, but once in a while, though, in the, uh, in the life of Christ, Peter absolutely nailed it. Once in a while, Peter hit a home run, and boy, did it go far. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples, like, who do men say that I am? And they would say, oh, some say you're Elias, and some another prophet. And, and, then, and then he asked the disciples, he's like, well, okay, uh, who, who, whom say ye that I am? And it was Peter who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a home run, Peter. That was correct, my friend. Good job. And in this instance here in Matthew chapter 14, as he walks on water, Peter doesn't just hit a home run. I, I think he hits a grand slam. Uh, he got to join the Lord Jesus as the only two people in all of history to walk on water. And the Lord Jesus, he's God. Peter was just a man like you and me. He was just a human being, and yet he had the privilege of doing what only God did. Pretty amazing. And so there was some courage here. There was some faith involved, and, and uh, he did express that faith. And so we see his courage in verses 28 and verse 29. But then let's see uh, number two here, Peter's concern. Verse number 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. 
So there went the courage. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. So Peter was doing something great, something impossible for God. Uh, He was taking a step to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was drawing closer to the Lord. He was taking a step of faith for the Lord. And guess what? That meant everything was going to be hunky-dory, right? Because he's taking a step toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That means all the circumstances in in his life are just going smooth as silk. No, that's not what happened. He did take a step towards the Lord Jesus. But the circumstances actually got even more difficult as he did. Many times you and I think, well, if I just get closer to the Lord, if I, if I would just um, make some good decisions in my life, then, then all these other things will fix themselves. Maybe, but maybe not. Because God sometimes does allow uh, storms to come even when we're getting closer to the Lord. And that's what happened with Peter here in verse number 30. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. He got to looking at the waves and he got to feeling that wind. And he's like, wait a minute, this is impossible. How is this even happening? And he started to look away from the Lord Jesus. Right? Our theme this year is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we're running our race and this, you know, we're, we're starting to see some of the Olympics. I haven't actually watched a single moment of the Olympics. How many are you like that? I've not seen anything in the Olympics. Okay, a lot, a lot of hands up. How many have watched a little bit of it? Okay, um, that's fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind watching some of it, but um, I haven't seen anything. Uh, but as, as these Olympians are going to start running, I don't know if they're doing any of the running events yet. Um, um, I, ha- I've, I haven't seen any of that uh, on the news or anything like that. But um, as they do that, they're, they're looking to something. They're not supposed to be looking to their, their competition. They're supposed to be looking uh, just ahead. And uh, obviously, we are too when it comes to the Christian life. We need to be looking ahead, not to our brother and sister, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we don't, we get our eyes off the Lord. Well, what happened to Peter when he got his eyes off the Lord? He began to sink. He began to sink. And uh, the, th- the truth of the matter is, in our lives, there are going to be moments and times when things around us do not go real well. And we are all tempted, uh, me included, maybe even me especially, to look at those circumstances instead of keeping our eyes on the Lord. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 46 uh, very quickly here. Psalm uh, 46. Again, these, these are verses maybe you've heard before, but boy, there are they good reminders. And uh, I need these reminders uh, quite often. Psalm 46 and verse number 1. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Okay, so he's there. Uh, he's, he's who we should be thinking about when we're going through difficulties. But notice verse 2 says, Therefore, will not we fear? We're not going to fear. I'm not going to choose to live in fear because I know that God is my refuge. He's my strength and he's, 
he's very present. He's right there. He's my help in time of trouble. So I'm not going to fear. And then notice here the circumstances. The psalmist here is saying, look, it doesn't matter the circumstances. I'm not going to fear because I know God's there. Uh, Keep reading in verse number two. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed. And so he's kind of going like extreme situation here. Okay. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, Peter, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, I'm not going to fear. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm not going to fear because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So Peter's concerned here, and uh, he thinks, oh, great, I'm going to die. Matthew chapter 6, if you go flip back over to Matthew chapter 14 here. uh, On the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talked about the worries and the stress of life. Um, he, He talks about... Um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter number 6, in verse number uh, 25, he says, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? In verse 28, why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither they spin. And uh, verse 31, take their, take their, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? And verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. See, there's a lot of times we, we look at the things around us, and we're concerned about the circumstances when, when the Lord wants us to be concerned with keeping our eyes on Him. And when we do that, He'll take care of, he'll, he'll take care of everything else. Uh, see, Peter didn't start sinking until he got his eyes off the Lord. So we see Peter's concern, but let's look at number three here at Peter's cry. In, uh, back in Matthew 14, in verse number uh, 31. I'm sorry, verse number 30. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he did a good thing. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And this is the shortest prayer in the Bible. When when things were starting to get a little overwhelming, and he was starting to sink, and realizing, oh boy, I don't have my floaties, you know, those things you put around your arms to feel safe when you're in the uh, water. Um, okay, I don't actually do use those anymore. I've outgrown those. Uh, but, um, but Peter didn't have those either. And so he was thinking, this is, this is looking pretty bad here. So he cried uh, to the Lord, and that was the right maneuver. Now, let's, um, I'm going to ask you to go back to Psalms. Okay, <laughs> Psalm 3, Psalm 3. I read this this morning, and uh, I thought this really applied here uh, for me, but also for you. You can listen in on the sermon that I'm preaching to myself here. But uh, Psalm 3, and and here's David. And uh, last year, when we went through many of the different psalms, comfort in the crisis, uh, I did 
I did cover this particular psalm, but just to remind us, um, David wrote this, and uh, the Bible says when he, not the my my Bible says the inscription above verse one when he fled from Absalom, his son, his son was trying to take over and uh, remove David as king, and so things were really tense in the kingdom and in his family. This was not a good situation. So here's what he says here the circumstance, regarding the circumstance. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. So David's looking at the circumstances. He's looking at, like Peter was, the, uh, you know, the waves and the wind and the storm and the water. He says in verse 2, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. And then now, verse 3, David gets his eyes back on the Lord. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. And here's he, he does what Peter does here in verse number 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. And then what happens because of that cry? Verse 5, I laid me down and slept. I waked, for the Lord sustained me. And now all of a sudden, look at this. Look at this confidence in verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Verses 1 and 2, he was going on and on about how horrible the circumstances were. And then now in verse number 5 and 6, he's got peace and confidence. And so all of it, the, the, why the change? Why, why the shift of, uh, of men, uh, why, why that shift? Why that change? Well, it's because he chose to look to the Lord and uh, to cry unto the Lord. And when you and I find ourselves sinking in the circumstances of life, let's get our eyes back on the Lord, let's cry unto Him, and then He'll give us that peace and that confidence that only He can give in a situation like that. So Peter's cry. And then uh, number four, let's look here at uh, Peter's chiding. Peter's chiding. Uh, verse 31, as Peter cried that and prayed that shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, save me. By the way, that's a, those are great words, aren't they? Uh, that's, if, if you're going to find, if you, if you only have three words to say to the Lord, those are three great words to say, Lord, save me. And uh, not just from the circumstances of life, but save me from my sin, save me from an eternal place called hell, save me. Those are three great words. Uh, and, and he prayed those words. And then uh, here's what happened, verse 31. And immediately, like the Lord didn't have to go and say, ah, I'm going to just watch you kind of squirm for a little while. This is kind of fun watching you sink. Let's see how far you can go. What are you going to do when it like goes, you're like neck deep? How are you going to react then? No, no, the Lord doesn't do that. The Lord right away immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, so after Jesus caught Peter, then he taught Peter. And he, he, he chided him. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to really know exactly how mad he was or if he was upset when he said this. If he said it in a gentle way or a harsh way, it's hard to really know. I do find this interesting. And as I was studying this, I had never noticed this before, but since we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and, uh, and we've learned in the 
as we introduce that, that Peter was the main influence in Peter's life, and he was probably the one who was telling Mark what to write. As Mark records this particular instance, Peter is not mentioned at all. Matthew's the only one that records what Peter did here. Mark leaves that out. And I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it's Peter said, we don't really need to go there, okay? You can probably leave that out. Like, that's not necessary to bring up, okay? But Matthew's like, I don't care what Mark's doing. I'm bringing that up because that needs to be uh, preserved. People need to know what Peter did and, and, uh, and what he should have done and all of that. So we're going to get all the details out, Matthew said. Um, but I do find that interesting. So the, the Lord catches him, and then he teaches him and says, O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? Now, he didn't say, O thou of zero faith. Because it took some faith for him to get out of that boat and, and go, ha, I'm walking on water. And I'm kind of sinking, I know, this illustration. Okay, I should have been like, I'm walking on water. And then he's like, wait a minute, I'm walking on water. What's and look, at there's waves. Oh, great. Okay, that's the proper way to do that illustration. Okay, in case you ever preach that message, that's how to do it, not walking downstairs. All right. But uh, Peter was chided. The Lord chided him, uh, perhaps gently, I would think a little bit gently, because, again, he did get out of the boat. No one else in the, uh, in the boat got out. I remember in Bible college, there was, uh, we had chapel uh, several times a week, and in one week we, had, we heard a message on Peter getting out of the boat, and uh, it, we, were, we were encouraged as Bible college students, you know, we heard over and over in that, in, that, in that message, get out of the boat, get out of the boat, don't stay in the boat, be like Peter, get out of the boat, get out of the boat. And then uh, the next chapel speaker came, and it was in Acts chapter, I, I think, 28, when uh, Paul and, and the, uh, the other uh, guys serving together, uh, there was a big storm in the boat, everybody wanted to get out, and the encouragement in that message was, stay in the boat, stay in the boat, stay in the boat. And so we're kind of like, okay, wait a minute, do we get out of the boat or stay in the boat? What's, what are we supposed to be doing here? Uh, we're just a little confused as Bible college students. Anyway, um, but Peter was chided in, for his uh, little faith and for doubting. Um, and I think that uh, all of us can feel that and heed that or hear that same uh, chiding in our own lives, because many times when we go through a, a trial or a tribulation, all of a sudden we start thinking the worst, and we're, we're of little faith, and we start doubting. We really have no reason to doubt. God is good, and He is trustworthy. Um, last, uh, last thought, and we'll wrap it up tonight, and that is Peter's conviction. It doesn't end there, because uh, verse number 32, when they were coming to the ship, so Imagine this, and I don't know exactly if they were walking hand in hand or if the Lord carried him. It, it does seem that um, he stretched forth his hand, and probably they were walking hand in hand on the water. What a, what a moment in Peter's life that he would never forget. Walking on the water, holding hands with his Savior, doing the impossible. Well, as soon as they get in the ship, the Bible says the wind ceased, 
it just stopped. And it was over. But then here's what the response was in verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. After this point, Peter knew and had the conviction in his heart that Jesus was and is the Son of God. By the way, the first time in the book of Matthew that the disciples called Jesus the Son of God. Satan called Jesus or referred to him as the Son of God in the wilderness as he tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Satan said to him many times, If thou be the Son of God, then do this. And then the devils who possess the maniac, uh, and, it, and we're going to be going there in Mark chapter number 5 this Sunday, so I don't really want to go too much in that. But those devils that possess that maniac there referred to Jesus as the Son of God. But this right here was the very first time the disciples called him by this title, the Son of God, in verse 33. Um, and because, again, of what he did, what he was able to do, in uh, stilling that storm uh, once again. And uh, after Peter cried unto the Lord, God gave him a peace and a conviction on who the Lord really is. When you and I, again, get our eyes on the circumstances, it's going to be, we're going to start sinking. Our heart's going to start sinking. Um, but let's get our eyes back on the Lord. And that's just want to encourage us with, and that's the major lesson of the, of the night. And again, I know most of us have heard messages on this many times. Perhaps many of us have taught on this particular uh, story, this account, this, this event. Um, but, you know, I can't help but think that maybe there's somebody in here tonight, maybe all of us, who need to be reminded of these thoughts as we go through what we're going through in our own life right here, right now. I want to close tonight with reading a beautiful hymn that we have sung a few times in our church and it is in your hymnal, uh, song number 570. I'm not going to sing it, it's a, it, but I am going to read it. And uh, I think it'd be good for you to read through it with me as well. And it's called, Be Still My Soul. Uh, Be still my soul, the first stanza goes, Be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. So stop panicking when there's difficulty going on. Stanza two, be still, my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Isn't that good? He, the, the waves and the winds, and not just the literal physical waves and winds, though that's true. But the waves and the winds of the trials and tribulations that we go through, they still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. And the last stanza says, Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone. 
sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed we shall meet at last. One day we're going to be out of here. It's going to be all over. No more trials. No more negative circumstances that we have to deal with. Uh, I'm looking forward to that day. Um, but uh, let's keep trusting the Lord and uh, live by faith instead of by fear. Uh, let's not doubt the Lord. He, he, he doesn't deserve doubt. Um, we, need to, we need to have faith in Him and not be afraid. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll uh, take some prayer requests uh, for a few moments tonight. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this particular account and uh, the shortest prayer in the Bible. And what a powerful, great prayer it was. Lord, it was probably pretty passionate that Peter prayed that prayer. Um, And Lord, I I know we find ourselves sinking in despair at times. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would turn to you and uh, cry unto you. And when we do, Lord... We're thankful for that peace that passes all understanding and that confidence and that conviction that uh, you are good, you are great, and Lord, you're going to see us through whatever we're going through. Father, I pray for uh, just those in our church who are going through difficult times right now. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to keep their eyes on you, and uh, I pray, Lord, you'd grant them peace as they go through these trials and tribulations. In Jesus' name, amen.